Welcome to the Power of the Crowd. How's everybody doing? Thanks for coming, and thanks to Brian Zist for putting together what I think is the best event in uh, music and tech. Really interesting people and inspiring ideas, so glad to be here. My name's Sean O'Connell, and I'm the CEO of a company called Creative Allies. Our website allows illustrators and designers to create the art merchandise for bands, and every campaign we do reaches about 70% new fans and generates a few million impressions. Our goal and where we're headed is uh, we are trying to create a new sales channel for merchandise through fan engagement. And we think there's a huge power in the crowd to make more money for bands and for the designers who create, create the merchandise. I'm going to go down the row here and let everybody introduce themselves. And you guys can tell a little bit about who you are. And then we'll dig into some uh, questions about the crowd. Hello, I'm Karen Bear from Indiegogo. We are the world's largest and oldest crowdfunding platform. We are global in over 191 countries. We're an open platform. The idea is that anybody, anywhere in the world, at any time, can raise money for anything. So I'm Natalie Don. I'm in a band called Pomplamoose. I also have a solo album, my first solo album, that's going to be coming out on January 22nd. And I funded that project on Kickstarter raised a little over $100,000, all thanks to my incredible fans. My name is Idan Beck. I'm the founder of Incident. Uh, we created the GTAR. We launched it at TechCrunch Disrupt in New York through a Kickstarter campaign that kind of uh, launched rather quickly. We hit our goal in about 11 hours. The GTAR is a digital guitar. Uh, unlike a normal guitar, it, it's 100% digital, no pickups. Has LEDs in the fretboard and a multi-touch surface. You pop your iPhone in, and anybody can play music, and you, even if they've never done it before. So, it's very cool. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> I have it, but maybe yeah. maybe later. Yeah. I'm Benji um, Rogers. I founded a company called Pledge Music. We help artists uh, get their music to fans in the coolest, most creative, exciting possible way, whilst raising money, and uh, also giving part of the profits to a charity of the artist's choice. And uh, we've been going for three years, and we look this old because we're tired. <laughs> so I, I think the secret sauce behind the power of the crowd is it allows musicians and businesses and brands to, to really engage with fans and to get new fans. Um, and I think that uh, I would like to start with Natalie, who's um, just crowdfunded your solo record. And I'd love for you to talk about the, that process a little bit from the, the artist standpoint and how you made that work. Yeah, absolutely. So it all started on YouTube. My band basically became known by putting out what we called video songs, which were recordings of our studio recordings, and we would edit them into videos, and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, so I'm not going to spend time on that. But anyhow, I decided that I was going to see if I could fund my album through Kickstarter because I had a couple friends who'd gone before me and who had really kicked ass on Kickstarter and they were people who had followings on YouTube and I feel like it's important to already have a following when you're, at least if you're a musician and you're going to do something like that. It really helps to be able to just put out a video to the people who already know who you are and already like your music and believe in you and, um, and so that's what I did. I started by um, reaching out to my fans and and uh, within a day, I'd reached my uh, 20,000 goal um, on Kickstarter. And then it just kept growing after this, after that, because I kept putting out videos. I kept letting people know that the project was happening, putting out more music to get them excited about it. Um, and 
you know, it, it did the thing where it peaks up and then it sort of levels out and then, and then it got level. And then, and then right at the end, um, we had about a week left, uh, and suddenly I was, uh, clicking, you know, I'd been clicking the, um, refresh button on my browser over and over again, just sort of like, (laughs) like every minute of the day watching the numbers sort of go up slowly. Um, and, uh, it was a sad, sad addiction. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, suddenly it started going up really fast again, and I was like, what is happening? Why? Who? I haven't put out a video, you know? Um, and, uh, uh, so Kickstarter had put me on their, um, newsletter, and, uh, I couldn't believe that suddenly, like, all of these people who hadn't heard about me before were just watching my video of me saying, hey, I need money to make this album. And they were all just giving money again. Um, and it was crazy. Uh, and and suddenly, in the last week, I made another um, $20,000 just off of people who just, who'd never heard of me before. Um, and those are, you know, like, I consider them to be like incredible fans, uh, which, so it was just amazing to, to gain that at the last minute. So, yeah. So you, you, you start you start with a video. You mm-hmm. kept making videos. You used social networks. Mm-hmm. Karen, maybe you can start. What are what are some of the things that, that, that a musician has to do to, to make these platforms work? Well, definitely one of the things we always coach people to do is make a great pitch video. Being transparent is key. Where What exactly you're trying to fund, of course, where the money's exactly going to go. Uh, We encourage people to um, make a video pitch talking exactly about the campaign. We know that videos that are are done this way make 114 times, campaigns rather, make 114 times more than people that have just posted an image or they put a promotional video of their record or the band up there. Uh, We also know that artists that post weekly updates make four times more money than people that actually just put the campaign up there, let it sit there for a couple of weeks. So the idea is that you are constantly engaging your fan base in what you're doing, you're asking them to comment, you're drawing them into the process, and you're creating this wave of interest around this project that you've got coming. Mm -hmm. And are you guys able to do things like a Kickstarter, did an email blast, and it had yep, a huge... Yeah, absolutely. We, um, Indiegogo has a proprietary algorithm that, um, you know, we're a meritocracy, so basically it's up to you to get your project off the ground first. When Once you start to uh, increase your numbers in the algorithm, which is made, um, you know, it's not just how much money you've made, it's also how much, how many views your campaign's had, how much it's been shared, etc. Then you will be put into our newsletter, you'll also be on the front page, we get 1.1 million unique visits a week to the site, and um, we'll also do our own PR push behind your campaign. But it's up to you, in the spirit of being a meritocracy, it's up to you to get the thing up and running yourself to start off with. So, so now, Benji, you guys, am I right? You, you curate who yep. comes into the platform, and, yep. and, and then I, the, you guys don't see yourself as just a, a crowdfunding platform. No, um, you know, we were speaking about this earlier. I think one of the key differences is I also used our, our platform to, to make my own EP. Like, I was project number one to give it a try. I figured if it was going to go crazy and the shit was going to get loose, it should do it on my, on my fans and my friends. And what was stunning was is within five days, I was ready to go into the studio. And um, 
the reason that we don't accept everybody, well, it's not that we don't accept everybody, we just tell people realistically what we think they can achieve. I wrote an algorithm, which is a very fancy way of saying we were in a coffee shop putting down numbers that we thought would work, and they actually turned out pretty good, and then it, we, we improved upon it, which said if you've got this many email, this many Facebook, and this many Twitter, it equals this much money in this amount of time. So what it is is, it, you know, in the, in the early days, every artist wanted $50,000, all of them. They were like, we want 50 grand, we want to make a new album like this, and it was going to be great. I have 200 email addresses, 150 Twitter followers, and 500 f Facebook friends. So just by the law of numbers, that won't work. So what we said to them is, is rather than 50,000, we think that you'll raise 2,500. So if you want to go for that, let's roll with it. In the meantime, here's a data capture widget to help you get more email followers, more Facebook followers, more Twitter followers. So our process of getting artists in is not to say to them you can't, it's to say you can't hit what you really want. Do you want to modify the project to make it work? And what we very early found out was is that if you play with this well and you give the artist the tools that they need to succeed, like an email platform, you know, a lot, when you sign up for us, you'll say, how do you communicate with your fans? And there's an option that says Gmail. If you put Gmail in there, we know that you're not reaching anybody. If you try and send a thousand emails out through Gmail, it's not going to work. It's not designed for that. So if you put Topspin, that ups you in the algorithm, says you can raise more money, or Fanbridge, or, you know. And I think really what it was about was is we're not designed to fund thousands and thousands and thousands of things. We're designed to help artists get their music to two people using a crowd crowdsourced funding mechanism, let's call it, or a direct-to-fan platform. You don't have to have a target. You can just you know, launch a campaign saying, be a part of the making of my new album from day one you get access to this cool thing. And we, you know, we do stuff in our newsletter as well. We do a homepage, uh, homepage placement. But it's basically we look for what's cool. We're, we're, we're small enough and nimble enough to where we can kind of we know most of the people that we're working with, so we can make it work for them. You know, someone will be like, there's an incredible video that we just found. You know, we follow this stuff because I believe it's our job to do so. I don't want to be a bulk platform that does bulk things. I want to be a very specific music-based platform that gives you all you need to do it. I think in proof of concept funding, it's essential to have a very open platform like Indiegogo or Kickstarter. But I think that in the music space, it's a different paradigm. You don't necessarily want to say to your fans, I've just raised a million dollars. It opens up a whole bunch of questions, as I think we've all seen and read about. It shouldn't really be, to me, about the money. It should be about why you're doing what you're doing. Um, and and I said this a thousand ben, times. Let me, let me ask a question yep. here, just to kick in. So, so you're I'm assuming referring to Mana Palmer, yep. and there's this, this kind of Mana Palmer hangover going, going on. Do, do we think it's a bad thing for musicians to raise that much money? Like, we're, we're, There's a backlash, and... And I'm too sure it's even with her fans, to be honest with you. I yeah. think it's more in the media. So I think her fans are kind of cool with it. Um, so what is the negative about raising unlimited amount of money? To be honest, I don't, it's not about the amount of money raised. It's about, it's about the, the sad thing for me, and she even expressed it in one of her blogs. I pledged on the thing, you know, like to support it. I, I, what it was was she kept having to message her way out of something. Why start there? What, what's, what's relevant about how much money it costs to make a record? Why do you want to know that? Is that what, you know, to me, I'm a music fan. I want sweaty, urgent, you know, angry things to happen. I'm not really so concerned about how much it, it took to, you know, buy a microphone or a, set of, or a set of headphones. Some artists want to share that much. That's fantastic. And I, I've, but what I felt from Amanda Palmer was she kept saying, I've made this incredible piece of art. And everyone kept saying, yeah, but how much did it cost? And they kept saying, and then, you know, she's not paying her musicians, on and on. I just felt for her because 
in all of that, what people weren't really talking about was the music, was the album, was the process, and she shared it brilliantly. Like, I wish we would have had her on pledge. I was, you know, I was just like, you know, because had she done it with us, and you know, just speaking frankly, no one would have known how much was there. It would have been a thousand percent campaign. It wouldn't have been a million dollar campaign or a 1,200% campaign. So all of a sudden, people are like, oh my God, it's incredible that you've achieved so much more than you need to do what you do. And then everything that she would do would become a marketing point that she would pre-sell the album from funding all the way through till when it came out. That would be the one difference I'd say is, is that using a proof of concept tool on a music project that you know is gonna come out anyway is kind of an odd way to look at things. And I think that's why The Hangover came from that. It's nothing to do with, with that she didn't so do is, wrong. So Adon and Natalie, is, is transparency important? I, okay, so when I was, when I was starting off um, and deciding whether I was going to go with Kickstarter or Pledge Music, and that thought was there in the beginning, I decided to go with Kickstarter because, in part, because I felt like Pledge Music was taking a higher percentage of what came in um, than Kickstarter, and that was important to me because I felt like I needed to just keep as much money as I could for this album. Um, and then the incredible thing about having a public budget is nothing. There's nothing incredible about having a public budget. It sucks. Because <laughs> nobody's going to be like, oh, yeah, you're an indie musician. I'll give you a good deal on this. Because, you know, it, I mean, forget the fact that it's my first solo record. You know, I was, I was in Pomplamoose, and we did these commercials, and then, and then I did this Kickstarter, and therefore we're, like, eternally rich in the minds of, like, some people. Or maybe not we're eternally rich. Maybe just, like, well, you obviously have all this money. Um, and... The weird thing is that by the end of it, I probably would have been better off having a like private budget um, and giving more to pledge music. I was um, gonna say that's actually a really nice watch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a swatch. Yeah, yeah. but but also just Fancy. just to be just to kind of speak to that point though. Part, one of the reasons that we hid the targets, you can turn them on. You can show a public financial target. It's like you have to get authorization from basically you know someone in the company to do it, but. The reason is, is I don't want our conversations to be about funding. And ultimately, if you're launching a 30 or 60 day campaign to reach a target, that's great. But after that is when the action is actually happening. That's when people should still be able to pre-order that record. That's when it becomes a straight buy. And we're 15%. We eat the credit card processing fee, which is between 3 and 4%. We also write campaigns for you. So we would have written you a proposal, watermarked the page, discussed price points, added specific numbers of things. And also, once you'd hit your target, we would have said, right, that's amazing. You've made enough. Let's add vinyl. It's an ongoing campaign, not from launching of campaign to funding it, but from launching of campaign to when it lands in you, the fans' inboxes. And that's, that's why it's a really hard thing to message but without just saying we're more expensive and you know, we do more work. I mean, you know, but the honest truth is you'll have a touch point within the company who advises you on this stuff because we've done it. If you've got a deal in America and you can't sell to Europe because of an impending thing, we'll turn Europe off as an option. Like we designed this for labels to use because what they kept saying to us was we want SoundScan and we want, we want the ability to basically you know, mess with things. So if you just want to sell eight extra large girls' red t-shirts plus a signed CD in combination, that all has a price point to it. So what we were seeing on regular crowdfunding campaigns was someone would offer a, a signed CD and baked cookies sent to you in Japan. That's going to cost you $100 to get there. 
time, effort, labor. We wouldn't have let that go out the door because it's our responsibility as the platform to make sure that this campaign has its maximal chance of success and that you have the tools to get what's been pledged on to people. All right, let's, let's, the, let's sorry, actually, no, it's okay, but I wanna, I, wanna, <laughs> I wanna let Adan jump in under this. So um, you guys announced this incredible product um, have an incredible way to kick off your crowdfunding. You kind of want to tell everybody the story a little bit so they... Yes, yeah, so, so um, we've been working on the GTAR for a, quite a while. Uh, about three years ago is when I left my job to start it out of my parents' garage, the whole Silicon Valley Cupertino garage story or whatever. Um, we were kind of getting to the point where the product was getting pretty mature, ready to start production. We've been going back and forth from China for a while, starting to work on video ideas, starting to build up what we, you know, we didn't really know how we were going to launch, um, starting to kick around the idea of a kick around the idea of a Kickstarter project. Um, then the opportunity to launch a TechCrunch Disrupt came about, uh, which was really unique. So we decided, well, let's 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 push for it. We got the Kickstarter project ready and we launched it on stage at Disrupt. Um, we ended up getting second place at Disrupt, and uh, with the kind of follow-up uh, press exposure, it really launched our product in, in a really amazing way, and we, you know, we hit our goal in, in kind of record time. Uh, so that it was, pre it was pretty cool. <laughs> you, you, got, you got to get that thing out right now so these people get um, it. Yeah, do you guys okay. want to see this thing? It's really, really cool. It's totally awesome. So, the, the, you know, the, the one thing about the guitar, right, is that you... you you didn't have a fan base and so that now the, the the other part of the crowd isn't just you know it's not raising the money that's the starting line how do you guys keep these people as passionate advocates well yeah. I, I, i'm sorry i feel like it's different coming into it from a technology if you're if you're offering someone a piece of technology that's really cool and useful you don't have to have a fan base for that because people are going to find out about it and and be interested and and, and I feel like the tech world is kind of different from the industry in that way. I think it's really hard for a musician, and I think you'd agree with me, yeah. to like come in and not have already some sort of established fan base somewhere. Um, anyhow. Let's have a guitar moment. Guitar? So, yeah, okay. So this is the guitar. Um, it's a fully digital guitar, uh, like uh, I was saying. Careful. It doesn't have pickups like a normal guitar would. Uh, this is a multi-touch surface, and as you guys saw, the LEDs flash. There's an RGB LED in every position of the fretboard. Uh, you pop your iPhone in like, like so, and uh, you can go into play mode. This is the application that we built. Everything here is USB MIDI, so other people can develop applications too, which is pretty cool. Uh, we have a bunch of different songs you can choose from. I'm kind of doing like the quick versions because I don't want to you know, be a burden. Uh, so you can choose a, a song, let's say Blackbird, which we're not going to get the rights to, by the way. So. Oh well. Um, we're going to choose easy mode. Easy mode is kind of a fun way for people to get started. I'll just do this demo, but there are other modes as well. Uh, the lights light up in response to kind of where you're supposed to put your fingers, but in easy mode it doesn't matter where you put your fingers as long as you hit the correct string. Um, so you can even play it just open strings. This is really meant to encourage people to get started playing. If you've ever seen a five-year-old play a guitar and make a bunch of noise and get the guitar taken away from them, uh, hopefully this will prevent that from happening so that kid might actually play music one day. Um, so, you know, you can just kind of get going. So if I hit a wrong note, nothing happens, only if I hit the correct. So this is kind of a fun way to get into music. There's also medium mode where you actually have to put your finger in the correct location. If you don't, uh, then nothing happens. We're all about positive affirmation rather than negative reinforcement, um, which is actually, the, in my opinion, the biggest problem with music education. If you've ever seen a piano teacher slap somebody's hand, that probably is not going to be a 
a very uh, fun, creative individual one day. So um, yeah, that's our that's the product. This is also a digital guitar, so you can plug it into Ableton, uh, use it to control like uh, Ableton Live, and uh, we even built like a sequencer application where this is used as a sequencer surface. A lot of really cool applications that this could be used for, but our focus is really about the initial consumer uh, entertainment, edutainment, you know, whatever you want to call it. It's kind of a new new sort of product, so we don't even know what to name it yet. Um, so yeah, this is a guitar. Very cool. Very cool. So, Natalie, this is this is tech lust, right? This is gear gear lust that people bought into on, on this. Um, but you know, I, I do think when you put your money in something that that's a that's that's new and new business, the there there is an emotional attachment, right? You got in on something early, and I think that's that's probably where where, where I think there there's the parallels, and I think the challenge, you know, moving forward is anytime we use the power of the crowd to, to gain new fans. You know, how how do we then sustain that relationship moving forward? Because again, this to me is just the starting point. So, you know, you 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 describe this this kind of mad rush of new fans at the end of your campaign. Have you have you kept that relationship up with them? Because now you have to execute on what you promised, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, that is that's the tricky part. Um, but uh, actually. So we're going to start fulfilling all of the Kickstarter packages at the beginning of next month. So that's when that happens. And, and it's been a year since they funded me, so they've been extremely patient. And in the meantime, I've tried to update them through um, the updates that Kickstarter allows you you know, to do. Um, I, I haven't been the best at that, um, but particularly because uh, I ended up uh, signing with a label for the release. Um, and, uh, and there was a five month period in there when we were in negotiations with the label and I just didn't know what to tell people. And so instead of being like, here's a thing for you to look, like, look at, um, when I didn't have any information to give people about when it would actually come out, I just kind of like sat back and like was like, I don't know what to tell them. I'm just not going to say anything, which was not a good thing to do. Um, you have to keep people updated because otherwise, because there have been scary stories, you know, of people just sort of like, you know, just leaving um, with the money, um, which did not happen. I invested every freaking penny of that in the um, in the album, but. Um, one of the ideas that I had in mind for keeping people interested was that a percentage of the budget um, would go towards uh, filming the actual recording process. So I got a bunch of props and I hired a film crew and lights and it was basically just, you know, um, uh, there were these two guys that were filming the entire process while we were in the recording studio. And now I have, I'll be able to put out a video or a music video for every song on the album that comes out. And that's going to be a way of keeping my fans who invested in the album of like pro prolonging that sort of um, reward process, I guess, like just giving them more afterwards. Um, so that's. I think it's a valuable yeah. lesson, you know, with, with our company, and I, and I think it's similar to, to to the crowdfunding. We're a platform. We're 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 tools, and without the participation of the bands using that tool to its fullest, that that's really the success of the campaign. So you you know we can reach out to tens of thousands of art students and designers and these tastemakers, but once we start seeing the bands, like for instance Slipknot last week, took just 
designs that they liked, started posting on their Facebook page um, and asking their fans to, to, to go and check out all this art, hundreds and hundreds of pieces of, you know, awesome satanic art. And, um, uh, and, and so collectively in, in, in about a week, it was about a one million Facebook likes. It was a, a really incredible conversation. So, you know, for us, we've built this crowd platform, you know, but you got to get on that megaphone and, and you, you, you got to execute. Um, I just would like to kind of go down on the platform side. Like, how do you guys, is it, if you don't use the platform the right way, you're just kind of shit out of luck? I mean, how do you enforce that? How do you help people? Um, Right. Well, because not everybody's gonna be Natalie, right? I mean, you you you've seen to really use the tools at your disposal and your creativity to engage mm -hmm. consistently. Yeah, and you hit it on the head. It's about engaging. It's creating a conversation. It's encouraging fans to comment and give feedback. And you know, like I say, we have stats that say you know people that update once a week or more make four times more money than people that don't. You know, you really have to create the conversation. And also, you know, we haven't talked about. Um, as well is that it's not just about giving the record away you can give away other cool perks give away fan experiences that maybe people can't get in other places you know meet and greet Skype chats we have a band that are taking thousands of disposable cameras on the road and they'll take photos backstage and send them out to all their fans so there are all sorts of creative ways that you can engage your fans and you know access is always a great one hmm. how about you Benji um, I was in a band full of um, drunks and party hounds and and uh, so I knew it was going to be challenging to get bands to do things in particular uh, then you know if you've got a layer of management and or label involved to get them to motivate so we started with a couple of ways we built an iPhone app which means that um, any comments or questions that come in from for the artist can be answered wherever they are on the road you can also upload videos photos um, blogs, pledges only updates from the phone itself. So wherever you are in the world, you can update in real time, including the status of the project, like, hey, we're recording guitars, we're doing you know, things like that. We also send out email reminders to the fulfillment team, management team, and artist teams. If they haven't done an update in five days, reminding them, hey, you should do an update today, you're five days late. If you haven't hit your target and you haven't done an update in 20 days, we'll basically cancel your campaign. Um, not once it's funded and obviously being made, but the reason for that was is that we didn't want campaigns sitting up there who were just begging, saying, give me money and I'm not gonna do anything for it okay. because it have represents you, Have you risk. done this? Have you, so you've canceled the campaign? Oh yeah. And there's been, has there been money pledged in that campaign? Oh, well, no one's, no one's charged. No one's charged at that point. Well, no, no one's charged, but people, people have made this emotional investment, right? They, they wanted to fund this. To be honest, yep. the, what we look at the health of the overall thing, nine times out of 10, if, a, if an artist hasn't updated, they're not going to be more than one or two fans mm -hmm. who've put anything into it. The ones that really engage, and it's not about just having a large fan base, it's about having a dedicated fan base. Um, we're on our second and third campaigns for certain artists, and they're outpacing the, first, you know, the, the previous ones each time. Um, and one of the things that I think is really key, our most successful campaign ever is by a guy named Ginger Wildheart. And Ginger Wildheart, basically, he, um, he made a triple album on CD, vinyl, and DVD. And the reason it was so successful was because it knocked our side over twice. Um, he decided on this triple album that he was going to release the first record on, at 5.55 p.m. on a Friday. He got 5.55 tattooed on his neck when he hit 555%. Again, no one knew how much money was behind it. And when he released the record, he said, guys, this is record disc one. You choose three tracks from this one, three tracks from disc two, or three tracks from disc three, and I'll release that as the commercial products. So he's crowdsourcing the fans. So all of a sudden, 7,000 people are trying to download this thing immediately, which took our site down, which was, I was terrified and then very pleased at the same time. 
but I think what it was really about was is it comes down to this one thing that fans are offered millions and millions of ways to buy things and they're very very seldom are they offered reasons to buy things and the pledges only updates or, or, or the, these backers only updates as Kickstarter call them or, or I don't know what Indiegogo calls them but these updates are your messaging those are your tools and they should be what should take over um, you know, we built it so that they auto-feed Facebook and Twitter, but fans can also auto-opt in to share on Facebook and Twitter these pledges-only updates. So Umrelease Track by at Benfolds 5 feeds out to everyone else's social networks too. Because really what it's about is, is that bands are very time-strapped, they're cash-strapped, they're exhausted, and they're often, you know, really trying to create something incredible for people. But I think that that's when they're at their most interesting and exciting, not once that's over. And I think that that's really where it becomes like, Funding things or just pre-ordering them or being a part of that experience is how, you know, perhaps the new product is how these things reach people, not the products themselves. Maybe that's the more exciting proposition. So, Idan, moving forward, you have visions for how the crowd plays a role in the product itself. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so the GTAR is built in an open way. Uh, in fact, um, you know, in our Kickstarter campaign, we had a couple of tiers, which were a developer tier where uh, these people would get access or at least early access to our SDK, uh, which would allow them to build their own applications that utilize the GTAR in, in whatever way. The reality is, is this is a very lightweight SDK. You know, it's, everything's MIDI, so you know, it kind of wraps that up. It also uh, encapsulates some of our audio engines so they can utilize that if they don't want to code audio, which in some cases is difficult for people. Um, it's also compatible with you know USB MIDI on a computer, so there's a lot of really interesting applications there. So our goal is really to encourage and, and support people as they develop some of these new ideas. Um, we have a feature in the app right now as well, kind of more on the social layer of, of you know this is kind of scratching the surface of what eventually can be done. Um, when you play a song, it records what you do, uh, and then it posts it to a social feed. And right now, that's a very simple you know, way to see how, how much you suck and, and how good your friends are. But um, eventually that could turn into more of a collaboration platform uh, where I can make this and we can make music together and we can share the song and then uh, maybe even practice without being in the same room. Uh, so some really cool things that can be done. Uh, obviously as a small startup, really, <laughs> you have to focus on what's uh, really going to be impactful. Uh, but that's why we're really excited about that SDK effort, uh, which will allow people to basically create whatever they want, be it an education app that, you know, tracks how you're playing and you can give, you know, the results to your teacher or, um, you know, a dubstep app which lets you play dubstep basses on stage and stuff. I think that's pretty cool. A lot of people would love to get in front of their MIDI controllers in that sense. So um, there's some really cool applications out there. And, yeah. and that's wild. So the, this, this title of this panel is The Power of the Crowd and um, it, it should be called Fan Engagement or, or Direct direct a fan, right? I mean, everything we're talking about is taking advantage of, for the most part, an existing fan base. So, you know, I'd like to kind of take the the next jump. How do we use the crowd and, and platforms that are out there to, to grow the fan base and reach the fan base? So you guys have all shown me, whether it was Kickstarter, doing their email blast, or your your reach, and Pledge's ability to, to, uh, to promote you know, what are other ways that, that musicians can really use the crowd um, and crowdsourcing to generate whether it's new gigs, um, uh, house concerts, um, you know what we do with, with creative allies and, and find new new uh, ways to sell merch through to fans. Um, is is the power of the crowd overbloated? Is it just about selling to your fans, or can it help you reach more? Um, one of the um, 
the, there's, there's a certain subset of managers I know who are obsessed by the data. And they're obsessed by getting hundreds and hundreds of thousands of new likes or new follows. And all of a sudden, Facebook turns around and says, hey, to reach those likes, you've got to pay. And there's a kind of, um, I'm, I'm fiercely analog in the way that you grow crowds. I really, really believe that, um, that the best tool ever is, as an artist is if you're on stage, you hand an email list down and you say, sign this email list and tonight I will send you a song. And I've watched this work for you know, uh, the majority of my career as a musician myself, which was that they wanted something that I had touched. They would take it and they would write their names in. When there were four of us in a band, each person had a clipboard. The person with the, last, with the least number of names on the email list bought the drinks that night. Incredibly motivating factor in a band of drunks. And it was, but, but the, the, the key was, is, is that when we launched, when I launched my pledge campaign to make my record, I had three and a half thousand people to tell immediately in their inbox and remember too, this is one of the things that's, that's lost I think a lot is, email became intensely personal all of a sudden. It lands in your phone. The same thing that I look at my wife and daughter on when I'm FaceTiming, the same thing that I Skype on, the same thing that I read all this stuff is very in my hands. We worked with Ben Folds 5 recently. He did this amazing thing where he said, from the stage, he said, everyone take out your smartphones, and they all did. And he said, email, I'm a damn VP at benfolds.com and I'll send you a song. So all of a sudden, and then basically once that email came into us, we flipped it back with a free track download with a liked, link to Facebook and Twitter and also a link to his pledge campaign. So all of a sudden, that night, immediately in their hands, they have the power of the crowd. So all of a sudden, Bonnaroo, we got, I think it was about seven and a half, eight thousand brand new email addresses, all of which belong to Ben, which he can message them, this is what I'm playing in your town, this is what I'm doing next. So the email is unbelievably important because ultimately we don't own YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter, I would say. I, I would. I would just have to disagree with you just a little bit um, because um, Pomplamoose and I have done everything that we've done without having any email list, um, which, I mean, at this point, we're kind of like, oh, it would have been really great if we'd have gotten people's emails. Mm -hmm. But the point, you know, the fact remains that, you know, we, we've done very little touring. Um, but, uh, you know, we've been putting out regular content, uh, things for people, things that people can share with each other for free. Um, and, and, you know, it's all basically, it's all based on word of mouth. But I, I don't, I, you know, I guess when it comes to the power of the crowd, for, for me, it's, it's mostly about giving someone something that they like, that they feel that they want to share. And that's really how you, that's how you grow, is and, through and people to sharing. Be clear, I absolutely agree with you on, on all those fronts. The one thing I'd say is, is that if you think of all the hundreds of thousands of people that you've interacted with, mm -hmm. um, I, if, I, if, I'm not going, if, if I'm not available on those places, I know I'll get that email. Mm -hmm. And people will want to give it to you. They really do. If I could just tell one quick anecdotal story. I said to an artist who had, a, who had, she had 47 names on her email list. I said, tonight at your show, hand out this list from the stage. And we showed up at the show and she'd completely forgotten about this. She showed up and said, can I borrow a pen? She got a pen, she did it, and she handed it out and everyone in the room, it went round, signed it, and put it back on the stage with a glass of whiskey beside it. I'm not making this, I promise you. So she'd got 47 new people on that email list. So when she met, went to, to launch her campaign, those people had directly had experience of her in that way. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately what happened was is for all the Facebook likes in the world, if they're gonna charge you to access those people, which, which they clearly are, 
then that's taking, the, you're giving your power over to these larger companies. Mm -hmm. And I think that you, you email is one, one subset of it, but ultimately when we launch a campaign, it, you know, Facebook and Twitter, I think is, Facebook's 44% of our traffic, Twitter's about 11%, the rest is straight email. Mm -hmm. And Facebook is, you know, obviously because of our sharing technology, but the ultimate is, is when we hit, see a big email list hit our site, Boom, it flies, and the average transaction is $64. So again, email is, to me, key. And I'm wondering if you added it to your strategy. Oh, and we, and we are adding it now. Yeah. We're, we're adding it to our strategy. But um, the funny thing is, to me, I, I just YouTube has always been a million times more powerful than Facebook or Twitter or any of that stuff. It just, mm. I just feel like there's a much stronger, much more tight-knit group of people when they, when they come to love your stuff on YouTube that they really follow you and they come to your shows and they support you and and um, that's something that I I mean I haven't found exists n nearly that much on Facebook or Twitter so so Indiegogo obviously the video has a huge role in right. the success of the platform uh, what do you have statistics on how much video impacts no I mean I mean we don't really launch campaigns without videos there's very few we we, we told someone to take one down because it was just way too out. It was problematic. I think it would have been banned by YouTube. So um, uh, it, it's a big piece of it. And definitely one of the things that we help is with messaging on the videos. We say to artists, you know, this one feels like it's asking a bit too much from it. Again, we'll let you launch what you basically want within certain parameters, but um, the video is a huge piece of it. There are some bands that have done some unbelievable videos. And again, you're right. It's shared and shared and shared and shared. Just as an artist myself, and I made five albums, I toured for years, I've had a couple of record deals, I would never give my entire kind of, I wouldn't give it all to a platform that I don't own or that I'm not paying on a regular basis to kind of do that. There are pieces of the conversation, absolutely. I think it's email, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and, um, and Pinterest evidently seems to be doing well. But um, uh, again, if all of those went down and disappeared or you all of a sudden couldn't get your stuff on there, at least you can email those people. That Gmail address is going to be important. And I'm really curious to see what Google Plus does. Like if they open up their API, all of a sudden YouTube might become 50 times more powerful mm. because of that. Actually, I have a pretty big note on that. Um, so we were starting, we were working on the GTAR for quite a while, and uh, one of our investors was Drew House and founder of Dropbox, and we were at a party one time, this was like maybe two years ago, and I joked to him, I said, oh yeah, we're going we're gonna, to uh, open up a pre-order list, you want one, you want to be on there? I was just joking, I think I was drunk. And uh, he was like, yeah, sure, yeah, he took me really seriously, which is funny, because that's how we got our first intern, who's uh, sitting in the crowd as well, as it started off as a joke. So I took down his email, you know, it's like, okay, as a formality. But as we were taking meetings, we started putting more and more emails on this list. Uh, by the time, after a year, we had, I think, like 150 emails, like that's how many meetings you take as, a, as an early stage startup, I suppose. Um, and we're just getting emails and emails and emails, putting on here. Uh, eventually, we, we had a, a video leak an on Engadget, like a teaser that it went up there. And, um, you know, a bunch of people emailed us and we were we had a, like a little wait list thing. So we got, by the end of it, when we launched, we had 500 emails uh, when we launched. Um, so an hour before we went on stage at Disrupt, we sent a, kind of this mass email to these 500 emails that said like, hey, you know, you guys wanted to support us. This is the time, uh, you know, come and uh, support a Kickstarter campaign. It's, it's live, like, right now. And we sent this an hour before Disrupt. I don't know if you guys know the rules of Disrupt, but you're not supposed to launch until you go on stage. So we were really scared because by the, by the, when we stepped on stage, we had already raised $10,000 in that hour. Um, and I mean, that, I think seeding that campaign was exceptionally... 
obviously uh, YouTube actually was just as influential. I think we had, I don't know how many hits on our YouTube video. Um, it's kind of a controversial video and still is today. Uh, I mean, a lot of people have opinions about how the guitar should be in American culture, of course. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, both of, I mean, obviously both of those channels and emails were exceptionally important in our, in our process, but, um, and, and we continue to take them, so. And I was just going to say, also, you know, launching, um, launching a campaign, encouraging your fans to share it, that's also a great way to grow your crowd. I mean, there's nothing better than a referral from a close friend that's actually invested money in somebody's campaign, so. Share. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. There's also an, another interesting thing that happens too. The, the way in which you offer the music, so there was one artist we were working with and she was phenomenal. I know a bunch of people really liked her music, they were really into it. The things that she came up with, the ways in which she offered her music, all of a sudden really displayed a part of her personality. And again, I think it gives, another, it gives people a reason why. One of my favorite ones is, on the Ben Folds 5 last record, he said, for 2,500 bucks, I'll go back in the studio and re-record a version of the last song on the album with your name in it and send you a specific version of the album recorded in that way. So I think it was about 15 people got an individual version of that record for them. Again, it's a big expense for us to go back in and do that and think of all the time it takes to remaster the record, etc. But that showed intimately a lot about who Ben is, which is he's that guy. He's that guy that wants to write another verse about someone named Hubert or uh, you know whatever it is. So. Um, again, it's reasons for people to get involved, not just ways. I think that's really the key is the more reasons you can create, the better. As you said, with multiple forms of artwork, this is what the band loves. Mm -hmm. You can right. get behind that because that's what you're showing. Right. So, I'm, I'm, so the, we, we've, got, we've got our Creative Allies platform, which is the intersection of music and art and designers. Hey, Natalie, have you or anybody know musicians who've used like Indaba, where we've, you've actually collaborated and done remixes with other musicians of your content and, and vice versa? Have you crowdsourced? Anything through them, or any others similar site? Uh, I'm trying to think here. Uh, nothing's nothing's coming to mind yeah. in terms of remixes. No. So, because um, one of the things that the, you, you were telling me that I thought was so cool is that you you are covering songs. Well, yeah. Well, that's <laughs> something kind of similar to what Benfold's did well not not entirely but um one of the things that you could back me for on kickstarter was uh, uh you could get me to cover any song of your choice uh and uh basically on you know several instruments to sing it and then record it and then edit that into a video and put that video up on youtube um and that was for fifteen hundred dollars and i had six people do that and four out of those six people wanted me to cover their songs that they had written um which turned into something that i really hadn't expected um and uh and but it it was great i mean i haven't released all of the songs yet but it was it was really cool yeah we've had an artist who's worked on indaba to have remixes done um and also um uh juliana hatfield um, had the had the crowd basically choose what songs she would, she did for her last album as a covers record. So it was everything from the weight to, uh, you know, there was some there was some interesting stuff on this and Bad Company. It yeah. was it was very cool. It, it's really interesting. I think that you know they they now have a huge community of musicians who also are fans and consumers and um, so that the ability for 
for those musicians to participate, I mean, it's, it's almost all new introductions. So, you know, that has seemed to be a very cool platform. And, you know, we just opened up um, BandArt, which is our self-service model. So up until now, Creative Allies has been, you know, Jack Johnson and LMFAO and just big names in music, pop, Keith Urban, whatever. And, um, and they're great campaigns. But, you know, the, the big question was what happens when we just make it a young musician you know, and it's not about a big prize, and um, there's been absolutely no correlation to fame. And so, what what we we realize is that the crowd out there is, is and it's in those campaigns, like 95% of the designs come in from people who are already in our community. And so, our community is there because they're really frustrated. They don't actually get to collaborate with musicians, and their day job is boring, and it's insurance brochures and designs. So, I think there's there's other crowds out there that that you know that that I think we need to tap into as well. Because uh, I think the power of the crowd is, is huge. Um, on that note, I'd like to tap into the power of the crowd here. We're going to open it up for questions. We've got a um, microphone. And Aaron? Hey, everybody. I'm Aaron McCown. I'm a musician, writer, and producer. And um, You had the greatest exclusive ever. What was my greatest exclusive ever? Spotify. Yes, I offered um, <laughs> my first exclusive on. I, I, I did a pledge music campaign in uh, May and June and got to my uh, got over my 100% in about six days from my fans, which I think was a testament to setting the right goal, actually, which was really nice to collaborate with you guys on that. And yeah, um, my first exclusive after the record was uh, you could have my Spotify check for $11 if I ever got one. <laughs> So that was just one of those, and someone did get it. And so I'll have to find. So what I'm do, gonna do is, you know, write something really funny on a piece of paper, print it up, and sort of frame it and send it. And so here's my fake Spotify check. But um, I just wanted to offer a comment. Um, uh, two things that happened for me during my campaign. Um, I'm 99.9 percent .9 happy with my experience with Pledge. Um, my my uh, my one thing that I would say is that, um, and this goes to something that Natalie brought up as well. Um, you know, I did my campaign in May and June, and it was for a record that was to come out in September. And I, I was able to raise, I went way over 100%. I was able to raise about half of what it would actually take for me to do this record, um, which I am curious of other artists' experiences if, you know, records end up costing a whole lot more than you think they will, and you sort of set your target. Anyway, um, for various boring music business reasons, I couldn't put my record out in September. I had to move it to January. So I ran into these two problems. One Natalie talked about, which was I don't know what to tell my fans. I don't want to tell them what happened. Um, I don't even want to tell you what happened, actually. So, <laughs> so what I did, but what and what I tried to do was to try to to keep feeding them things because I felt a great responsibility to let people know something was going on. So I sent them pictures of meeting with other pledgers, and I um, told them about other things that I've I've done. Um, but I guess basically my my one percent um, difficulty was that for me. Um, you know, with Pledge, I only get 50% of my money now, and I get the, the other half of it when I actually put the, the, the record in people's hands. And so now that's January, and it's a big cash flow problem mm. for me. It's a huge problem yeah. for me to be able to continue to outlay the expenses now, with pushing everything off four months. Yep. So I just wanna, wanted to bring that so up, but, um, but also have never met a creepy Pledger. They've been amazing. It's been a really incredible experience. Yeah. So. And to, to explain that, Part of the reason is is that if if the pledgers don't get what they've pledged for, we have to we have to refund them. Like that's kind of how it goes, and um, it's not a donation platform. It's definitely that. Uh, the one thing I would say was is um, Jace is running your campaign, right? Did he make you an advance payment? He is, but I didn't know if that was. I was allowed to talk about that. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Right, so I'm happy with that. Yeah. 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 So they're gonna give me. I think next week they're gonna be, gonna give me some of the money. You're gonna hold back. 
Yeah, uh, basically, as long as we've got enough to refund a certain percentage of the pledges, that's why we do it. Because otherwise, they're going to have to come to you, and I don't want them to feel weird about that because it, it messes with the fan-artist relationship. The, the goal of it is to keep that as clean as possible. And, and um, it's a really hard thing talking about you know, finances, but that's, again, why we're here as a team to discuss that. And that's kind of the point. Yeah, uh, personally, that's really great that you went over budget. I actually, my, my, I set my goal lower than it actually was. I set it at 20,000, but really, because I'd budgeted everything out beforehand and I, it was this really huge project, it turned out that it, I thought it was actually going to take 80,000 and then I raised 100000 and I was like, okay, great. Now I can actually afford to make this album. Not true, um, because I had this public budget, and nothing was what I thought it was going to cost. And so in the end, I ended up like tapping into all of my savings, borrowing money from the band, borrowing money from my parents, opening up a few credit cards. You know, just basically, uh, it cost me way more than $100,000. Um, which sucked, but I can't imagine. And, and I also wasn't sure when it was going to come out. And so I just sort of said, oh, it'll be out by this time, thinking that like, oh, that means that everything like the stars will have to align in order for it to come out by this date, which is just not true when you're dealing with so many other factors. So, so it didn't end up coming out that date. And if I hadn't had like every last penny of what I needed to make the album, that would have been terrible. Mm. Um, Natalie, so it, looking back, would you keep the goal uh, private? Uh, like, would you not be so transparent in the budget? And, and would that matter? Yeah, the problem with transparency in, in the budget isn't that I don't want to tell my fans what I'm doing with the money. That's not it at all. Like, I'm happy to tell my fans where every every bit of the budget has been invested the problem is just you know you end up paying other people and and it ends up costing you more so i think it would be better for things to not be visible for everyone um you, you know and, and to speak to this i i've i made five records and i've made every mistake my first record cost thirty five thousand dollars i'm still paying it back like it's literally like it's a really expensive process and part of the reason that we wanted to work in this way was to figure out how does this work i don't want to just it's not enough to say there's the tool, go use it. That's not, it's, that's not acceptable to me. Ultimately, because there are certain things that you can do to make it, make it work. You know, there, there are other studio options that have reached out to us saying, hey, we're looking for musicians, we'll give you a great rate. Okay, boom, there's a saving. And I think that, that, that really making, anyone who's made an album knows it's really quite an intense, weird, um, amazing experience, but it's very costly. It gets up there. If you're not done, you can't just say, "Right, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it because it's it's not finished. It's not, it's an unfinished piece." The one thing I would say though is is that what a lot of the artists we work with do is they'll share that very truthfully. It's not finished. I need this to be incredible for you. One of my favorite updates was real simple. It was a guy holding up a piece of vinyl, and he said, "This test pressing sounds like shit. I'm sending it back because I don't want to send it to you. It's got to be great." Remember Juliana Hatfield was, was screaming at the UPS because the packages weren't arriving for her pledges on time, you know, and they, you know, our system kicks out, um, you know, receipts. It's a very difficult process to talk about money with artists, and that's one of the reasons that we try and do it under well, Benji, that between we, we, each other. We, we, we deal with it all the time, right? So someone does a campaign, they, cr they create merchandise, but then the, the, the merchandise isn't coming up or they're not announcing what that limit edition is going yeah. to be because because they want to tie it to an album release or something. So um, I, I think that I'm curious, you know, how you feel like the anxiety of your fans is right now. Because I, I found when you're just really transparent and honest and say, hey, this is what's going on, 
then yeah. it seems like everybody relaxes. Like, do you feel like anxiety about how your fans? I didn't feel any anxiety from my fans. I got maybe one email that was like, "Where's my T-shirt?" But um, I actually just saw that there was a couple articles in the New York Times and some stuff on NPR in a three period, three week period in September that were about what happens when you don't fulfill the pledges, and I actually felt pressure from that. I felt like, oh my God, yeah. people are going to see this and are going to wonder where their shit is. Yeah. So that's people are going to see this and wonder where their shit is. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 you know that's part of the reason that we had to build the system the way it is was to give you the tools to be able to to message it out there. Um, we have, we you have know, time for a couple more questions, sure, so we have yeah. some other hands. Yeah, Benji actually touched on this a little bit, but uh, I run an e-commerce platform that a lot of people come to after going to a crowdsourcing platform of some sort when they want to keep selling. And we found that a lot of people don't necessarily know what to do after a crowdsourcing campaign ends. And so wh what experiences have you had? We found a lot of people, they just don't know, they're too busy fulfilling things to actually sell, and then they don't sell as much as they could have. So just any thoughts on that? I, I can't really speak to that too much because um, I haven't started fulfilling anything yet, uh, but I know that it's going to be exciting and difficult, um, and I'm really looking forward to it. So, uh, <laughs> so, so on, on my project, um, I was sitting there with a tiny, very small printed out Excel spreadsheet, and I, my, my, my developer was like, well, just, we'll just send them a, an Excel spreadsheet. It'll be fine. They'll know how to do that. And I'm like, I don't know how to do this. I'm sitting there with this massive table full of T-shirts and CDs, and I've got no idea how I'm going to send these things to people. And that was when we realized in the first campaign ever that we launched, this will not work. It's got to be better than this. So what we did was we built now a fulfillment system which filters much like Gmail. So you can star stuff if it needs to be sent later. You can filter it by exclusive. So are you actually it, sending this stuff? Or no, they, no, it's yeah. built on the platform. So basically it'll print out, the platform will print out PDF mailing labels with what's supposed to go, where it's supposed to go. But also our customer service team is there to help you with it. So you'll be on the phone with one of us saying, I don't understand how to filter this. And, and we'll, be, we'll talk you through every inch of it. Because this is going to be the Achilles heel of this entire industry. If people don't get what they've pledged for, if we don't guarantee that we will refund you if you do not get what you've pledged on and the money's been taken, we're accountable. I feel a great sense of that. And we just hired someone whose job it is solely to deal with this all day long with the campaigns. You know, there's, there's, there's a record that's being, that's being fulfilled right now. And my copy arrived and it's, the, the vinyl was packed badly. So it's damaged. So I take a photo, I send it to my own customer service team and say, guys, this is not going to fly. But really what it's about is, is um, the, the drive to fund things has to be a larger vision of how it's going to reach the world too. Um, we uh, built sound scanning because ultimately what, what you know, we, we were doing on some campaigns, 7,000 digital, 5,500 physical. That's, you know, a top 20 record. And that was important to a lot of artists. So ultimately, then you've got to build in a system which accounts to how many people downloaded it. So then we've got to create server logs, USPs. It's our responsibility to give you, the artists, the tools to do that. We can't literally put things in boxes because we don't have time or space or a fulfillment house. But I've got three fulfillment houses that if you want to use them, will give you an amazing deal. And I won't just say, ping them to you. Here's his email. Call Todd. He'll take care of you. Call but, Brandon. But it still comes down to that, 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 that you'll be a resource, but the musician has to yes. do that work. But, 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 but again, we built everything that you require to do it, and I know because I've done it. I actually fulfilled two campaigns out of our offices to make sure it all worked. 
and each person in our team is has has touched every point of the system because we're all former musicians or record label people and we know that that's our job mm-hmm. you know that's is why i don't call us a crowdfunding platform our job is a director fan platform one so. last question Come for okay. Hi guys, I'm from Ukraine. My name is Denis and I'm work uh, with musicians uh, mostly from Russia and Ukraine. And I do have a question. Uh, firstly, uh, what is uh, when you use email marketing campaigns, what is your open rate and click rate percentage? And the last que- uh, and the second question is why a lot of musicians uh, feel uncomfortable asking uh, their fans about money because uh, there is a true 1000 true fans model presented by Kevin Kelly and probably you, you've heard about it mm. if uh, if you have like 1000 fans that uh, will pay you at least like $1 or $10 you can ask them and they will pay you like from months to months and you'll have just money from your fans directly oh. and why not uh, a lot of musicians just asking uh, their fans to pay money and feel un- um, well, uncomfortable. I think, I think with us, you know, Thank we're you. not just, it's the same with, with Benji's model, you're not just begging for money. It's not like you're just sort of holding your hand out and saying, you know, give us money so we can do, you know, what ABC project. It's about pre-ordering something. It's about offering perks, cool, creative, fan experiences, ways that you can engage with the artist. So you're always giving something back on the other end. It's not just mm-hmm. about taking money. And that's, you know, I think that it, there's still certain people that feel like that is, you know, that is the crowdfunding model but I think that attitude is changing yeah I also don't I just don't feel like anyone is ever comfortable asking someone for money that's just not a comfortable position to be in even if you're offering them something in exchange it's hard to say hey I'm going to make you this product which will be of value to you but like you have to pay for it first before I can make it for you I mean mean, yeah exactly except for mom and dad they'll help And as far as email open rates, um, I mean, I think in music, the industry average is something like 14%, but it, it honestly, it depends on what you send. If you send a personalized handcrafted email that looks like you actually wrote it, it'll obviously ping a lot higher than if it's just like, you know, um, the performer will be performing at this theater at this time. If it's a third person, you're just spamming me, then it's not going to go through. Our internal e- email rates that we send to our pledge music list, we get 20 to an 18 to 20% open rate in the US and about a 17 to 19% in UK. We have a split out German list for German acts. Um, and we're going to do an Australian specific one shortly. Um, that's for the that, and then the artist-facing newsletter that we sent out is about 14%. We also built a pl- an email system in the platform that you can use if you don't want to pay for an external service too. So, great. Well, that's all the time we got. So I want to thank everybody on the panel. It was really insightful, and thank you guys for coming. <laughs>